Has Alistair Jack quietly been recruited to promote the cause of independence? You would have to wonder because his move of trying to essentially veto legislation on gender recognition reform passed through the Scottish Parliament after great debate at great length. And yes, everyone is still really quite divided over the provisions. But nonetheless, the only unifying factor is likely to be you didn't tell the Scottish Parliament what to do. Alistair Jack. So um, we discuss all of that. We wonder also uh, about um, Mr Jack's role in trying to deny the reality of Brexit. Um, he maintains that Scots aren't really too bothered about not being in the EU. The only way to prove him wrong, really, is a Brexit rally demonstration on the 31st of January, which we exhort you to attend. Those are the headlines. Now for the podcast. Hi, chums, and welcome to this week's Leslie Riddick podcast. And you know... When I was a, when I was a child, I used to be amazed at the fact that uh, older people would say, "Aye, you know, time's moving so fast. It doesn't seem two minutes since last Christmas, and it doesn't seem two minutes since our last podcast." And uh, here we are, and the nuclear option has arrived. In that, Alistair Jack, Secretary of State for Scotland, has decided that the the gender recognition reform that, that took place, that was voted overwhelmingly in by the Scottish Parliament, is now going to be subjected to yet another section of the Scotland Act, which is Section 35, uh, because, and we're, we're embroiled in what seems to be an absolute unholy mess on all sorts of levels here, Leslie, and I'm desperately trying to get my hands around it. I don't know how you feel, but it's a... It's a it's a real burek, isn't it? Well, it is, and I mean, to be honest, we have not had this conversation about yeah. uh, the Gender Recognition Reform Act uh, because, oh, for a whole variety of reasons, I was actually reading uh, Andy McKeever, the Tor X. Well, I don't know if he's still Tory or not, but he was a spin doctor at one point. Mm-hmm. Now writes quite sort of cogent columns uh, <laughs> in the Herald, <laughs> and has actually written one today, which. Which starts with a, a lot of him saying that he too, he said, you can scan my columns. He also writes weekly columns and you'll find no mention of this, basically because he said I was papping it because yeah. um, I expected to get absolute pelters from either side. Now, that's that's perfectly true. Um, and unless you really go into this in great detail, the, the, the chances of you coming up with some thought, clutching onto one thought, which actually is quite easily gainsaid by the other side, are very high. Mm-hmm. But it's more that to, to me, actually, the reason that we haven't really gone through this before is I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how I would have voted if I was an MSP. I don't know, actually, totally what I think about the gender, the GRR. And of course, now, OK, let the pelters begin. Um, and recently I was with two pals uh, that I've known since I was 19, both of whom are you know, well, one of them actually said, we have got to be, the three of us, probably some of the most op- politically opinionated people we know. And none of us could come up with a definite f- point of view on this. But two of us, you know, diehard feminists, set up feminist magazines, you know, since well, I was 19. And then obviously here in Scotland with Harpies and Quines and so on. And when, when you have this long conversation, especially if you have a conversation with younger people, you're stopped in your tracks, really, by just how different the mm-hmm. the approach to the, the whole thing about gender identity and a fluidity of, of identity is amongst many of the younger people I've spoken to who just think it is nay a biggie and don't understand yeah. why older people are basically getting in such a flap about trying to sort of almost contain sexuality or or gender identity in boxes which they just don't see any particularly big deal about um and you suddenly feel very you you can feel very old in that respect because of course back in the day you know we we were also arguing about essentially trying to get people out of out of gender labeled boxes exactly and so you find yourself now strangely on the kind of other side of the curve um it is it is if you live too long, everything becomes very discombobulating. Equally, um, I remember very clearly having loads of arguments about the use of language, which has changed completely where, you know, men would. Well, all of us used to talk about manning things and, uh, you know, spokesmen and so on. That yeah. 
you know, changed. And there was lots. I remember how much grinding gears there were at the time where people would say this is unnatural to call someone a chair. They're not a chair. They're a human. And of course, that point was true, too. And yet over time, people sort of picked into their language and use of it more sort of gender neutral language about, yeah, chairing something Mm -hmm. or uh, staffing something instead of manning it. You know, you became very conscious that if you were talking about manning, you were basically constantly setting a public world up in the use of language, which was full of men and absent of women. And that just worked its way through language. You know, it happens occasionally now where people will pitch stuff up and it's a, you know, it's a free world. You can say what you want in private or even in public if you're willing to take a few cross brows. And that's what we've got to. And so the argument that, you know, we have to change, it's it's an outrage in a way that we have to change the use of our language to take account of a very tiny minority of people who are wanting to choose a different gender identity. Then I sort of think to myself, but this is what I did. I made this fuss about language 40 years ago in the cause of feminism. So I get trapped there thinking, well, hang on a minute. How was it all right for me to upset everyone's world 40 years ago? And it's not okay for trans people to say, you know, I, I, you need to tell me how you identify. I'm not going to presume you're a woman just because you look like one. On the other hand... <laughs> Yes, I am old enough that I kind of do the majority of the time. You have to work to deep dip into philosophy for a second on on sort of um, inductive reasoning, which is that things that that have been the case often enough generally become the case. It's not logically true, but it's the only way we live our lives, you know, that this this setup generally works. Right. So we sort of assume it does. There'll be a day where it doesn't. And given the age of my uh, MacBook, that day could be very soon. But generally speaking, you have to work on the basis that what has generally been true is, you know, roughly works so that most people who have been born a woman probably do identify as women. And that seems to me to be, you know, there's there's the thing. I have not, I have also got to be honest and say there are not many. Okay, I can't think if there's one occasion yet where I've had a moment, uh, more than a moment, really, of thinking, I don't know where I am in terms of how I'm speaking mm-hmm. at the moment and whether I'm offending somebody. It did happen in an event um, where there was a new branch of um, of YES and the SNP being set up in Edinburgh University Students' Union very recently. And I realised that when I'd made so- some remark that seemed to me to be quite funny, there was not a giggle or smirk mm. going on in the room. And again, it was a room full of people under the age of 30. So here we are with all of this swimming through our heads. And I'll bet you, I hope there's folk listening who just feel themselves to be in some of this same sort of terrain where you're just not you're not that sure which way this this swings. You begin you you try to take your cue from people you respect. And of course, there's people I respect very much who are on the uh, absolute outrage about the GRR side of the argument. Uh, so that, of course, gives you pause for thought as well. And then you think to yourself, OK, for about the 400th time, I will go away and dig even deeper into this argument until I'm absolutely convinced that I know yeah. which side I'm on. And I have to say, either I, I have absolutely not done the digging enough because you need to work your way right through a whole lot of legal texts as well. I haven't had the time, I haven't made the time to do that. And so here we stand, I on this side of the microphone at least, um, I would not be confident to say I am an utter expert in any way at all about where this legislation lies, other than it has obviously created a lot of difficulties. Yeah. You can see that, you know, there's there's an argument from the sort of trans side of it that the that the legislation, the, the key point, which seems to be the access of single sex spaces, which, uh, of course, has been a thing that is completely important a great yeah. success of feminism and seems to have been respected, you know, reasonably well by actually, you know, to an extent, both sides, both sexes mm-hmm. have sort of seen. Yeah, you can see that there's reasons for that. Um, that seems to be a critical argument. And there's there's a point raised by the trans folk, which is that they don't need a GRC currently to, to access Correct. single sex spaces. Yeah. Um there's also then there's an argument that they can actually be excluded, it says, um, if the organisation can prove that this is a proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim. 
um, folk on the, who are very who are opposed to the G, the GRR say that in effect you can't actually exclude trans people from single sex spaces, and this seems to be the nub of where a lot of the yeah. argument is. Now, having said all of that, it is not the place of the UK government to correct this. Correct, yeah, and that's absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, going back to the digging, though, Leslie, t- take a step just a wee bit further back. It's the thing we said before when we covered this issue a while ago, when, when both of us, I think, agreed there should have been a citizens assembly on this. And at that point, the digging should have been done. That's the point where the education process should have taken place. Evidence should have been heard. And that random selection of people from across Scottish society should have been tasked with analysis of this because the, the, the when douglas ross is able to turn around and say well but look at the polls and look at all these people who are not in favor of the the gender recognition reform all it, all it does and it may be significant but what it does it's self-declaration there's no need for a psychiatric di- diagnosis of gender dysphoria it reduces the living period from two years down to three months, if uh, but but to six months if you're 16 or 17 years old from two years, and it reduces the age at which you can self-declare to 16. Typically, that is affected. That the gender recognition certificate has been for 30 people per annum, and they're making rough estimates that maybe two to three hundred people per annum will do this. And the reason people would do it is to update your birth or adoption certificate to get married or enter a civil partnership. Now, it's it's very, very, it's exactly the same, it appears to me, as happens in Spain. It's very, very similar to, to Ireland, who are now pro- looking at the proposals, because there's only exemptions for 16-year-olds there just now, but they're looking at proposals to be exactly the same. And I think you're right. It isn't about, there are two things. I don't think it's about the GRR specifically. I think it's about the changes that have taken place in society, protection of single-sex spaces, protection of women's sport, which I'm passionate about. And I think that's mm. that's important. And it is, it is that point there. I think the SNP uh, missed a great opportunity, the Scottish government, to actually open this up to a citizens' assembly so the... The heat could have been taken out of it and focus placed entirely on GRR rather than all the other surrounding issues for which this has become a lightning rod, I think. And to get back to it, you're absolutely right. This is, I don't care which side you stand on in this, and I respect people on both sides of it. And I did want the digging to be done by a citizens' assembly. I'm not fit for that as an individual. But wherever you stand on this, you've got to stand up to the fact that this is a democratic outrage. I agree with the First Minister and others on this. It's a democratic outrage which follows on from what happened with the Sewell Convention, the UK Internal Market Act, and this is another step forward, if you're looking in a purely Scottish context, of the diminution of the devolution settlement. Yeah, well, if you if you if we're looking at dear Alistair Jack, you do sort of wonder if he's actually become an agent of the independence movement because you know his yes. last contribution was to to completely deny in an utterly laughable way that the Scots actually want to rejoin the European Union. Yes. Well, I mean, which is like it's crazy, you know. I mean, how what is up there? Because I I, I you do tend to think these things come in bundles you know so it's it seems as if it's a strange one because many commentators have observed that um when rishi sunak came up the road he was looking like he's trying to be quite emollient he's trying to draw a line mm-hmm. with the old you know let's just t- kind of do headbutting stuff that boris johnson and liz truss had come up with so it it looks as if he's going up the up escalator and then suddenly his folk turn and come down it with this really quite unbelievable sort of driving uh, you know driving soft unionists towards uh towards independence and that again not my opinion but that is the conclusion of many conservatives including mm-hmm. Andy McKeever who got, just coming back to that wee article he's he's saying here that uh, indeed that none of the you know the, the the reservations anyone might have about the legislation is an acceptable reason for the UK government to Absolutely. try and use the Scotland Act to block it and he says do it to do so is an act of constitutional vandalism and simultaneously hands Scottish nationalists another tranche of soft unionists on a silver platter. So it, it's a it's a kind of puzzle that, you know, I was thinking, why do you know, is, is this just really, you know, the suggestion 
uh, in many of the excellent interviews there have been, again, Martin Geisler doing very good interviews on Good Morning Absolutely. Scotland. Yep. Um, where he was pretty much suggesting to, of course, Alistair Jack doesn't come out to be interviewed. No. This has now become a, a default that everyone's just got used to. We should not be getting used to this, by the way, because this, again, is outrageous that you can do something like this and then just basically duck. Of course, his argument will be, oh, he's got, you know, he's not going to speak before he's put uh, the points that he's he's moved the section 35 yeah. in Parliament. Does that mean he's going to speak uh, on, on Radio Scotland after it? Well, I would put a small bet on that we won't hear from him then either, because there'll be some reason that he can't come on. But it does look as if that, that Westminster is simply picking a fight for political reasons. Yes. And it looks like it is once again trying to square away uh, the tensions within the Tory party, which if you look across the piece at other stuff, and this might seem kind of unrelated, but, you know, there is there's been a cave in on the online safety bill. Mm -hmm. uh, where they've admitted uh, some amendments which will basically jail social media bosses if they don't uh, curb stop children from having access to stuff they shouldn't be seeing. This wasn't in the bill. There's been weeks of complaints by Tories. And finally, there's been a cave in, although it doesn't look like it because it's been done behind the scenes. They're going to introduce this uh, amendment in the Lords, so it doesn't look like a climb down. <laughs> and um, and politicos have observed that, right, that's three rebellions that have happened in 10 weeks. First on onshore wind, second on compulsory house building targets because the Tories want to have anything quite as <laughs> directive as that. And now on these penalties for tech bosses. And the thinking seems to be that Sunak is very desperate not to face Commons defeats on stuff. So he's not going to end up having votes where he might end up losing a big tranche of his own support and potentially losing the vote in the Commons. Because so that what he does is he sort of caves in on private, particularly on stuff that he's not very, you know, he hasn't taken ownership of. I mean, they speculate what will happen when there's a rebellion on something like stopping the small boats of migrants where he has touched that policy in a big mm -hmm. way. It's one of his big five. So coming back to Scotland, could it be that just it just doesn't matter enough for him to have really thought this through and he's let Alistair Jack just run off with this? I mean, dear knows. It's really hard to see how they think that anything that, that, that they're producing at the moment is doing anything but just producing. Well, I don't know if outrage, of course, is what politicians have to say they're feeling. Yeah. I'm not sure if I feel outrage. It's more of a sort of, you know, yeah, this is just again. a long direction of travel. And, it, you know, it just it stiffens your resolve. You're a bit astonished. And but it's a part of a pattern that if you if you haven't got yet that this is what it's going to be like, you know, you're not really awake and sort of, you know, mm -hmm. smelling the coffee. The questions will also be what the, the other parties do, you know, what Keir oh, Starmer yes. does. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I watched it. Uh, just a quick one on the Tories when we were at the start. I, I was very interested to note that Caroline Noakes on the Coonsberg show, the Tory MP and chair of the Women Equalities Committee, she actually, when asked the direct question, said, yes, this issue is being used as a wedge issue and part mm -hmm. of culture wars by, by colleagues. And and she seemed, again, within the framework of looking at this, she seemed very rational, very con concerned, very thoughtful about the issue. And I thought, yeah, that's someone on that issue I could listen to and seems to be taking a lot of things on board in terms of that social issue. Right. So so actually, sorry, but just again, before we go on to Keir Starmer, because you've just reminded me, I was astonished to see that the Tory reform group actually tweeted last night that vetoing the Scottish bill was a deeply concerning development that showed how lacking the UK equalities agenda has become. Right. So basically, and they also said transgender and non-binary lives across the country are at risk uh, of being used to play political games. Yes. Yep. You know, which which is actually exa exactly uh, Nicola Sturgeon's words coming from the Tory reform group, uh, actually backed by Theresa May. God love her. And oh, uh, uh, the rest of us, the sort of 2019 intake who seem to be much more worried about the current government's abandonment of, of human rights stuff. Uh, and this seems to be a sort of bit of a pivotal point for them, because obviously the the Westminster government was going to legislate on this. So I took mm -hmm. one look at it and just thought, nah, you know, we're just yeah. going to walk away, which leaves, I would have thought then that the, the situation in England in the same sort of thing as we just discussed earlier, where Trans people don't need a gender recognition certificate to access single sex spaces. No. So, 
people may feel the Scot Scottish thing has has not made this utterly clear either way. And it might just be that actually in this respect, we'll all just have to live with a tension between the the freedom for trans people to feel accepted and the uh, ability of most women to be in single sex circumstances in areas where they utterly would like to be in one. I don't, you know, and nobody, it sounds like at the moment, has an absolute trump card to be able to play in that. And that's, maybe that's where we are. But anyway, back to Back to, yes. Keir Summer, he's thrown the Scottish Labour Party under the bus yeah. again because Anna Sarwar whipped the Labour Party, uh, Labour MSPs up here to, to vote in favour of GRR. I mean, it was an overwhelming majority of the Scottish Parliament across party, including right, right across all the parties. But again, the Labour Party in particular, he, Starmer seems to think, I mean, oh, I've got concerns about uh, single sex basis. I've got concerns about the age being 18. And I kind of a difficulty with that before we go on about the, the, the throwing under the bus. If you're, if you're able to get married at 16, I think you, you should be able to make a decision about that at 16 as well. But that's a, a purely personal yeah, but I opinion. Think, actually, I think that is a, a, an important point because, again, having thought about that, um, that Scotland has so recently changed a lot of its laws so that people can vote at the age of 16. Yes. And I think, um, you know, maybe all of us, especially folks out of the border for whom that is not the case, have not gone through the thinking that went through the 1617 rule voting bit. I mean, so we, we remember we had big, big discussions about that, whether that was crazy or not. And then that has just entered the way of how yeah. Scottish elections work. But it probably takes a while to sink in for folk that, I mean, if you are 16 in Scotland, not only you can do the, the long list of stuff, you know, to join the army and, you know, what all the rest of it, but you can vote. So that if you can vote, which I think gives you levels of citizenship kind of rights, um, it seems quite strange then that you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be taken as a sort of responsible adult, because if yeah. you aren't, why are you voting? <laughs> yeah. You know, so here I think there's a, there's even more of a thing about the 16 that you've got to just think through the logical consequences of having accepted 16 as a voting age. And if it is OK to vote, then it must be okay to make other decisions about yourself logically. Now you could go back and say, well, James, if that's the case, shall we look at the voting thing again? Yeah. Some people might think, but there was no outcry about that. No. So it, it's kind of like it's like we're we're all it's settling for everybody what we're actually meaning here. But still, let's get back to dear yeah. old Keir Starmer. Yeah, because I mean, what what he's done, and then supported by Ian Murray and. Pam Duncan Glancy, which surprised me considering her, the work that she did on on GRR, but didn't surprise me in terms of being a Sarma loyalist. They've come out and said, oh, let's, the, the, the Scottish government, the UK government have got to work together, a plague on both their houses. They're not getting this sorted out. You ought to sit down like grown-ups and discuss it. And they're trumpeting the, the Alistair Jack line, which says, oh, we can sit down and discuss this. And it, it is. And Mark Drakeford has stepped in on this, the leader of the, the Welsh uh, Labour Party and said, no, this is undermining the devolution settlement. And Richard Leonard has turned around and said, no, this is inappropriate. You cannot do this. And you've got a, they've got a split in the Labour Party over this. And God knows what Anna Sarmer must be thinking about it. Thinking, oh, thanks again on Brexit thrown under the bus, on this mm -hmm. thrown under the bus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was also thinking um, this might be sort of irrelevant about the Northern Ireland situation because mm -hmm. the UK government moved to essentially make it the case that you could have abortion and same sex marriage in Northern Ireland uh, when that was not forthcoming because of pr the prospect of uh, litigation, actually, by human mm -hmm. rights groups who were making the point that there was, a, a, an, a again, a sort of imbalance in, in law where certain laws have been passed for the UK, Northern Ireland's in the UK, but certain things cannot be done in Northern Ireland, viz abortion and same-sex marriage. So the UK government moved a lot of that forward. And in fact, when I looked at it, um, even though, for example, abortion became legal in Northern Ireland in 2019, that's three years in which there has been no abortion facilities offered in Northern Ireland. Yeah. So that actually in about November, the Westminster government announced that it would be actually having to somehow create the facility for that to be offered in Northern Ireland. Now, I mentioned this only because 
there was also an argument at the time there yeah. where people, you know, who were in favour of broader rights were thinking, well, OK, that's not so great that it's Westminster swinging in and saying, hey, you wee guys, you're behind the, t- the curve. We're just telling you now, you just have to do this, you have to do that. Um, I think Stormont was actually sitting at the time, but obviously it skipped back out again. So uh, they're in a period at the moment where there's nobody there to argue with them, essentially. But it doesn't feel right. You know, it doesn't feel good for Mm -hmm. for any idea of devolution that you have these guys swinging in, even when arguably you could say they're swinging in on the side of the angels. It's exactly what I was thinking. It's either it's either one thing or t'other. You know, in, in principle, you don't applaud Westminster interfering in other people's um other people's mm-hmm. affairs but then you know in in practical terms you look at the sort of situation uh, in in northern ireland with this where uh you, i'm not sure and this is of course when you begin to deviate from what little you do know about subjects but you you, you get the feeling that there has not been the same thoroughgoing legislative process uh in northern ireland which the westminster parliament vetoed which is what they've done here. I mean, God knows, we all know this has gone on a lot and has been fairly thoroughly examined. Mm -hmm. The one thing that, just coming back to your thing about the Citizens' Assembly, I think one of their um, recommendations actually was that there should be um, a Citizens' Revising Chamber, uh, um, potentially in Mm -hmm. in, in independent Scotland. Um, And of course, this is another thing because this is where a lot of revising chambers can be there to pick up and have a sort of bit of a second go on things. We don't have that at the moment. Might be a thought for how that could work in an independent Scotland. But this is all all these concessions and this tone that we're adopting suggests that there is something hugely wrong with what has actually happened. And to be honest, it's just really hard to know what is hugely wrong is the idea that we're now going to have what is essentially a political bust up instigated by Alistair Jack and the Westminster government over legislation that uh, is is completely competent for Correct. the Scottish Parliament to be deciding upon, um, and which looks like them trying to basically pick over an argument the Tories lost here. Yeah, because that's precisely what happened this morning when Martin Geisler, and I'm going to say something, people leapt on Martin Geisler uh, initially for his grilling of Shona Robinson, which I thought was perfectly fair. I mean, it was it was it was it was articulate, it was intelligent. He probed on every single point, and they didn't wait for the second part, which is exactly the same as he did to Rachel Hamilton, the Tory MSP. And at that point, she turned around and said that you know Shona Robinson knows full well that Section 33 order, that's the one. Remember that. Uh, they allowed the Supreme Court to make the decision that it was out with the legislative competence of the Scottish Parliament to legislate for a, a second independence referendum when the Supreme Court did that. And she says, oh, well, no, they can't take it to a section of 33 because it is within the legislative competence of the Scottish Parliament. And it is just that's where it, it gets to that point where they know that they would have been done if they got the Supreme Court on it because it is within the legislative competence. But the next stage is they've actually got to get this Jack can't just stop this happening. It will go to a judicial decision as to whether this actually does breach the UK Equality Act and does impact uh, UK law, in which case it is a reserved matter. But it's, I keep going back to it is, do they think they're going to make, they're going to get electoral success out of this? Mm. I cannot see this changing people's minds. I really cannot. And actually, this, the thing is, there's quite a lot of intelligent Tories saying exactly the same thing that, you know, presumably because, you know, the, um, I was listening to uh, John Curtis on um, something on the radio, uh, <clears throat> one of the Radio 4 probably programmes. And uh, he was pointing out that, you know, ob- objections to the public do not uh, back the GRR as it stands. And they are more or less in f- uh, objecting to different parts of it. So, you know, there was a variety of two to three to one mm-hmm. against bits of it. Now, there's where the Tories are, you know, bits of the Tory party are sniffing possibilities. They could think, right, we can create a wedge there, you know, between yeah. Nicola Sturgeon and the folk who are a bit mm, not sure about that. And obviously, since many women and, and guys, perhaps, but certainly women left uh, the SNP to join Alaba over this issue, you could think that, look, there's obviously this is a live one, you know, because there has already been political movement over just yeah. this issue. It is this strange thing, though, that and this is a difficulty Alba might find themselves in now. 
and everybody essentially who has been have been critics of the GRR is that you're now stuck with a decision as to whether or not you highlight the difficulties of the legislation as you see it and thereby essentially open up the, the, the possibility that the Scottish Parliament gets gubbed by Westminster. Yes. And you've basically now got to choose between which is the thing that feels most important and live to you. So yeah. for obviously for a lot of SNP people, they will now just shut up. Yeah. I mean, they will have their reservations, deep reservations, but they will not probably be airing them because it's such a, an open goal since it's being styled as, you know, the battle of the, you know, the battle of the border now. And even the the, the English media have kind of picked it up and are, are sort of aware that something, you know, constitutional is going on. Uh, so, you know, what do you do? Do you walk into the middle of that and say, look, I completely disagree with the Westminster government being able to walk in and just arbitrarily decide that we're too little to be able to get the thing right. And, you know, the big boys have to come in now and tut, 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 you know, uh, that kind of thing is infuriating to most Scots. There is there is nothing more annoying than a remote control, wooden top, arrogant, tough, Etonian sounding guy <laughs> coming in and telling us that we can't basically after months and months and months of chewing something over that they didn't have the guts to even try to deal with. Correct. Right. Then they waltz in and basically say that what we did was just so out outrageous that they have to gub us out of the head or else they have to tell us that we have to sit down with the adults at the table and go through it line by line to see that we can eventually understand why we're stupid. Yeah. So that's all sitting underlying all of this. And with those powerful dynamics, and I'm aware that in that, all that little bit I said there, it so closely resembles too wee, too poor, too stupid. So this is the core backdrop. You know, that's the backbone of what motivates many people uh, in the independence cause is the refutation of that. That's what the whole point of the parliament has been. And over the piece in general terms, the kind of legislation the Scottish Parliament has come up with has been, generally speaking, more enlightened and more in, in line with the rest of the freaking universe of kind of social democracies than the unbelievable stuff that is being pumped out by Westminster. So this yes. is not ideal. It's not ideal to be dealing with specifics according to how you generally feel about the authors of the comments. But this is where we are now, um, because the specific, you know, the general feeling of Tory law lawmaking is is quite, you know, unbelievable. Yeah, no, because nobody's going to side up to them. And I mean, just what I'm, I'm just was seeing this morning that, um, you know, and, and I'm sorry to introduce that terrible name, Suella Braverman, into oh, things yeah. at this point. Right. But, you know, she's now decided she wants to reduce the number of foreign students coming to the UK in a bid to try to, you know, kind of curb migration, which has prompted even uh, Kit Malthouse, who's a Tory, he was a cabinet <laughs> yes. minister and, you know, one of the one of the administrations that was in for 40 minutes during the summer. He's actually come out and described this idea as utterly bonkers and said that, you know, cutting numbers might look like an easy win, but for the UK economy, it would be a very expensive one. Well, do. So, yeah. You know, when when you're sitting looking at camps, you see this volcano of rubbish being sputtered out from Westminster. And what, you know, you're you're then going to have to walk essentially their way on this issue. And that probably is how it will polarise over the days to come. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's Suella Braverman who, yeah. The Home Office, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, they've asked the charity Freedom from Torture to remove a video, yeah. which has been, yeah, on YouTube, up, I think a couple of million times approximately, uh, where Braverman told a Holocaust survivor, Joan Salter, M.E.E., no less, she wouldn't apologise for describing refugees as scum, as sorry, as a swarm and an invasion. And, you know, and, and, and Joan Salter was saying that's precisely the language that was used about Jews. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and and no, I won't roll back from it. And not only that, I'm going to take take the video down. But to 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 look at the the, the driving the wedge, this and uh, this brings us very neatly, I think, onto the SNP special conference, not annual conference, Mr. Joyce. And I'm glad nobody got back and touched me to say you got it wrong, you idiot. Uh, where they've they've proposed these two uh, 
two motions that are going to go in front of the, the special conference. A majority of SNP votes or combined votes with the SNP, with any other party, and this is the key point, with which it has reached a pro-independence agreement in advance of the election. And that majority of votes either at Westminster or at a subsequent Holyrood election would be a mandate uh, to begin uh, independence negotiations with the UK government. And I think that that brings into focus what uh, Alaba will do. I mean, we can take a look at the Westminster or Holyrood. I know I come down for Westminster because I want this done. I'm scunnered. I want it done and out the way I want it. And I really don't care about the fact of, oh, well, we'll get 16, 17, you'd also be able to vote at Holyrood. But that's kicking the can down the road another time for me. I think you've got to have the confidence and go for Westminster. And will Alaba reject a pro-independence agreement in advance of the election? And that's throwing that out there, and that does relate directly, as you said, to those who have left the SNP, many of whom were on the, 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 uh, the this idea about the split over gender recognition reform. Well, on that, I would think with the, the conference they had uh, last weekend, I think um, Alba are... Uh, I think are looking to have the Holyrood Parliament collapsed and a Holyrood mm-hmm. and an election to take your point about kicking cans down road. That's that's their thinking. I think mm-hmm. I could be wrong about this, but I think that's their uh, approach to how you get something quickly that's under the, the aegis of the Holyrood government and yeah. 16 and 17 year olds and European citizens, importantly. Um, without you know waiting forever obviously we've been through this before and i just it's it's funny how many of these conversations are similar but sort of you know just coming closer and closer to a point where somebody has to actually make a decision between things which are intractable um it strikes me that on the one hand i don't hear i don't hear enough and i i hear, we're, these these are not ideal situations because the no. obvious thing to do is being denied you know so yeah. That's one thing. The second thing is people say, yep, you know, we need to get to a point where where the opinion polls are sitting more firmly. Well, they're 56 percent again at the moment. So, you know, uh, that's near that's near to the 60 percent that people uh, always um, attributed to Nicola Sturgeon as being what would essentially, you know, hit the, the kind of go button. So we're kind of pretty much sitting there uh, in terms of timing. The. British you know, general election will probably not happen till 2024. So that does give you some time to steer your way out of the current set of messes. Um, and you would hope there might be some res- resolution of Ukraine that might deal with some of the some of the inflationary pressure so that things might not feel quite as emergency war 10 as they do at the moment. Um, and yet, you know, people are perfectly right that the, the, the worry is that if you don't put forward a really vigorous campaign to yeah. to change the narrative right now, you will. Of course, you will allow uh, other parties who are stronger in doing that. That's their suit to come in and say, but this is not what this election could ever possibly be about. Well, you know, that's true. That, the thing is, you're not going to get to a situation now where there is an absolute go for gold honey of a way to get this done. No. Um, so, you're, of course, that's true that that could be a problem. But the biggest problem to me is the lack of drive from the SNP towards taking all the bits of event that is, are naturally happening at the moment and wrapping them up into a powerful narrative that they are really confident about and on the front foot with all the time. And I mean, that started to me a wee bit. Well, obviously, that's been the case for a while. That criticism has been levelled of of Nicola Sturgeon. But around the Supreme Court uh, event, Mm -hmm. it was impossible to get the SNP leadership interested in that in advance because I imagine they could only see it as a potential uh, loss. And the, the worry, you know, what happens to you if you look at that side of the equation, if you're always looking at a glass half empty is that you radiate that across your, you know, your support group that that what if this, what if that? Nobody will ask those questions as strongly when you come out with a fully fleshed and a, and a properly thought through approach to what is an unsatisfactory situation in the first place. But I would think, you know, that the weariness that you feel, <laughs> I certainly do feel, I mean, I'm sitting now in the time that I should have got off which I have got off writing columns to write a blinking book about the case for independence. 
I'm now spending a good chunk of it trying to organise an event on the 31st of January, the Brexit anniversary, which you might laughingly think, again, a party that had a bit of a budget and a media department might want to Mm -hmm. organise themselves. But, you know, here we are doing that again. And got to say, we've got Alan Smith coming along. We've got Jim Fairley, the uh, SNP MSP, uh, who was a farmer before he uh, came into Holyrood. And are really good, both of them, great speakers on the damage that Brexit has actually done and the European outlook of Scotland and the success of Ireland under uh, the, uh, with mm-hmm. the EU. So there's plenty to be said about all of that. Plenty, plenty, plenty. And uh, stop press. We've got Lorna Slater coming from the Scottish Greens and other speakers, uh, European speakers. We've also got, hopefully, um, a procession organised. We'll have details of that in the national Uh, In a a day or two, uh, that having been bumped somewhat by the unexpectedly early announcement about the Mm. GRR stuffy. So anyway, this is all being put together. It's massively time consuming, but it's it's fun. um, And we've got to do it because once again, like the Supreme Court, when Scotland's in the news, we're on the streets. Just simple as that. We have to give a toss. We have to remember what it's like to get annoyed about stuff enough to come out and be on the streets and be visible. We have to be impactful and visible all the time now until we get to a resolution of this. And to an extent, I'm more interested in getting everybody's peckers up here and recognising that it feels to me like we're in a decisive year or two. I couldn't tell you quite how it'll end, which election will be, if you like, weaponised into a an independence, uh, de facto independence referendum. But I, I wouldn't imagine if it if all of this fails, I don't know if Nicola Sturgeon will still be at the helm in two years time. So it feels to me like there's a bit of a shit or bust moment developing here. Yeah. And, you know, in anticipation of that, let's get busy. You know, yeah. let's get limbered up because there's going to be a run for the bus coming soon, folks. And, you know, when that bus suddenly appears and is whipping past you, that's not the moment to discover that you kind of run more than 100 yards when you've got two bags of messages. (laughs) So we need to remember, we need to get organised, get out and start to get the visibility that will come with chiming events with news, uh, news anniversaries. So, I mean, we've got a French, I'm at the moment, I'm trying to organise people to be interviewed by French public television who are coming over two days beforehand to do a filming piece about how Brexit has buggered up Scotland. Um, You know, that's also made us think, hang on a minute, why is it that the French are kind of making that story? And we've not actually had that done. Now, there's no point waiting for, you know, the BBC to see if one of them will actually do it. So we're doing that as well with no resources, except the funding from the Scottish Independence Foundation for the costs, just literally the costs that we incur. You know, so I would quite like my life back, to put it Mm -hmm. mildly, (laughs) I would like my life back. But there's no point in in trying to turn your back on the fact that these events are happening, that they're part of our national story. They're moving blocks together of a narrative we can control. And if it isn't happening from a party, political party perspective yet, then, then people need to get on the front foot because we need to resolve this. We can't be going on like this, half ready, half not ready, and having, you know, deeply sectarian arguments yeah. within groups of people who will now naturally take, you know, lumps out of one another because that's what happens when you're standing, you know, on the sidelines waiting for something to happen. We need something to happen. So coming all the way back to the beginning of that, a large part of me thinks, let's just do this, just the same as yourself there, because actually looking at it the other way, even though this is prone to all sorts of difficulty, what actually will happen if this is just a norm, another normal general election? There is a we head esteem there at the moment. Yeah. My my worry would be if that we head esteem goes again, that really is it this time for for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree entirely. I've been listening to Stephen Flynn. And by the way, not just because he's a Dundee United supporter, I think Stephen Flynn has been incredibly impressive in terms of his his uh, interventions at uh, Westminster and also in his interviews. And he made it very, very clear when I think he was speaking to Martin Geisler again, that he was utterly in favour of using the Westminster election as the de facto referendum. 
And I think that 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 voice will probably be heard. And he was very, very good about uh, dimin- diminishing the oh no, there's the, the split in the SNP between yourself and Nicholas Sturgeon, etc. So no, Stephen Flynn, very impressive. And I said, if I had to put money on it, I think that'll be the one that goes through. I have no inside knowledge whatsoever. That's just a, a gut feeling and I'm not a super forecaster, so I don't know if that'll, that'll come true. Um, but as I say, Stephen Flynn, I think thus far in Westminster, short, sharp, coherent. And what he does as well, and Shona Robinson did it this morning, They she actually linked together the things that you were talking about, Leslie, in terms of look at the trade union legislation that's coming down the line. That was the second reading of the uh, the minimum services regulations, which the Tories claim are going to bring us in line with Europe. Oh, no, they don't when you actually do the fact check on it. And Priti Patel suggesting that this could be expanded beyond the industries and the areas in the public sector that talked about already. So you've got this coming down the line and you've got the uh, voter ID. You've got the what it looks like, the gerrymandering of the constituencies. This is a pattern. And I think you're absolutely right. And I would hope it wasn't just off the cuff from Shona Robertson this morning to start to link these matters together. And I sincerely hope that Stephen Flynn and what he's done previously in Westminster is link these matters together to get that narrative that you're talking about. And the suggestion is, and it has been made by academics, that coming at this from a left perspective, a progressive perspective, is more likely to be successful for the SNP than ploughing a centrist line. Coming at what? Coming out independence and the the, the mm. narrative should be. Yeah, it's the it's the, the well-being agenda. That's yes. the one that had the support up at sixty-six percent or something. If you were able to suggest there would be a well-being economy, but you have to do the work on that to sort of mm-hmm. show exactly, you know, yeah. well, not exactly how it could be done because nothing can be shown exactly that's in the future. I mean, jings. Uh, I was listening to the Mary's meals people talking about the escalation mm. in prices of twenty percent. Who 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 could have predicted that? And that's a combination of Ukraine, but Brexit, the whole lot. So Mm -hmm. we're all sitting quietly absorbing the shock of Brexit, you know, because it hasn't been pasted up on 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 items. You can't be absolutely, totally sure that that's what did it. You can see all the great and good coming out and saying it in words almost one syllable these days. Yep, this is what has really crashed our economy. That's why we're suffering greater inflation than other countries thus having more strikes and uh, union disputes than other countries, all of it more. They've got a bit for sure, but ours is more of a measurable kind because there's another thing stoking this engine, and that has been Brexit that nobody else has gone through. But we all just go, yeah, wow, it's all a bit more expensive than it was. And and it's an astonishing one. If that level of difference was happening post-Scottish independence, I can quite imagine there would be um, something of an outcry. But I think we, you, this this question of getting you know behind something and beginning to sort of steer it really confidently in one direction, um, it needs a lot lot more than just an occasional paper. I mean, what happened to that series of papers? There was two or th- two, three, uh-huh. and then they stopped. You know, so it sort of it seems like it's an off on. It, that doesn't sound like a strategy to me. And this is what, you know, if you're going to make a strategy like at the moment, part of my strategy, everyone, is to say to you, 31st of January, um, six o'clock rally outside Holyrood, we prizes for the banners with the best lit banners, right, even? <laughs> and they are kind of fairly Blue Petery type, um, you know, prizes, but still. But the point is, get there. Um, we hope there's going to be a procession that's that's going to be OK tomorrow. Uh, that will also be walking down from Pollock Hall's of residence and of of, uh, of the park because that will be extremely visible with torch lit, you know, sort of actual lit torches. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will all be in the national soon. But I mean, we're working a way to try to keep this narrative up and keep placing in it um, a way of connecting all of this up to a different kind of Scotland. Now, this just needs to be done all the time by the SNP. And, you know, people will have their comments about Nicola's leadership. It also strikes me that the number of the levels of governance that that um, and participation in various parliaments that the SNP is on may seem like a strength. It's also a kind of weakness because it sucks the blooming living daylights out of you having to deal constantly with the day to day business of just chundering through constituency issues, the bills that you don't really feel you were elected, you know, they didn't 
they're not exactly what you're elected to deal with, but still they take every waking moment and pulling your head out of that to think, where am I going with this? It's like everybody's lives. Those big strategic decisions are the most important things you'll ever take. But you can manage to put them off by gum for years and years and years until finally there's a kind of point where you have to act. Well, now's that point for the SNP. They need a strategy, not just a kind of, you know, a date in the diary or a sort of, yeah, we'll have a de facto referendum where we know that previous elections um, have seen the SNP talk beforehand about a commitment to making this an election about, you know, independence that is famously back on the table. It seems that table, you know, enters into things an awful lot. But just that's not enough, you know, to say independence is on the table. I mean, good grief, there's plenty of things on my table here. None of them move. You know, we need stuff that kind of jukes about a wee bit here. We need a strategy. you know. So anyway, I think um, point has been made. But yes, anyway, because, everybody, look at timeforscotland.scot for information and please get yourself organised, especially if you're in the Edinburgh area. Uh, 31st, 6 o'clock, the rally, the procession will probably start 5.30. We'll know it absolutely towards Thursday, Friday this week. But we're definitely having the rally. All those speakers are booked. The only question is whether we are allowed to parade through the park, our own park, with uh with lit torches, which has been done in the name of, you know, New Year and all other sorts of things, and extinguish them in a vat, which we will have at the end at the rally point. Well, I did say the little cheer you heard from public halls of residence, because that's where I spent three years of my my time at Edinburgh University. That's in, in, in uh, initially in Fraser House and then Baird House. So there you go. That was my my neck of the woods when I was there. But, but the other thing out there is we're talking about de facto a referendum. I assume you saw Colin Mackay oh, interviewing, yes. interviewing. I couldn't leave this week with, with Rishi Sunak. Sunak. Wasn't it superb? That's not the question I'm asking. I'm asking this question. No, I've spoken to the people of the Scottish. And, and, no, 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 no. Answer my question. So hats off to Colin Mackay. I thought it was absolutely superb. Didn't let him get away with it at all. And actually, it, it was a, it was a very Scottish questioning. Mm. I felt mm. very straightforward. <laughs> I'm not letting you away with that, Paul. <laughs> I, I do remember this from the, from the time I was on the wireless that the shock and it was always MPs because they were used to so much more respectful questioning when one of them would finally come on the programme and I would interrupt them and say exactly that. Please don't repeat yourself. If I didn't get it the first time, change your wording or answer the question. And there'd be this long gap where somebody was basically thinking things that are unprintable and unsayable now on this podcast, but essentially who does she think she is? Yeah. And then realising that they were still live on air yeah. and having to somehow kind of get all that, that rage that they were feeling into a, a kind of answer, which was generally just to repeat what they'd already said, which yeah. then got the same response. And it was always MPs. MSPs obviously here just knew that the hang of the place and knew the sort of slight in your faceness that you, you're likely to get. However, the thing that struck me so much about that, and it's really worth people seeking this out because it is an absolute stoter, even by Colin Mackay uh, standards, um, is that clearly there was a small line of people interviewing Rishi Sunak, ready to gush enthusiastically about everything Scottish up around Cromarty Port, um, up above Inverness, because they've all got the same backdrop. So there must have been just a queue of people. And that makes it all the more unfortunate that Glenn Campbell was on straight after that asked exactly the same questions because, you know, they are obviously the ones to ask Mm -hmm. when, you know, what, when will you acknowledge uh, a case for a second independence referendum? That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to work together with whatever. Now, we'd just seen, everyone had just seen Colin Mackay crush back in and say, I don't answer my question. I didn't ask you about that. Whereas the BBC just let him talk. Right. You know, and I think that's just such an unfortunate, you know, STV are making the running all the time, um, with the exception, you know, mm-hmm. Martin Geisler, Gary Robertson. Actually, uh, you know, there's 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 some decent interviews on GMS, but yes. in general terms for television, um, it's it's really pretty woeful. I mean, there's not even really a proper BBC Scotland current affairs program now. They just seem to have, you know, there's seven days that sit somewhere on the schedules for the uh, on the BBC Scotland channel. But that's got the same slightly sort of, um, 
you know, chums on a sofa chatting at our yeah. kind of air, the sort of like, I'm in your face, I know where you're going and I'm going to stop you because I'm really going to ask this t- type stuff that comes from all of Scotland Tonight and STV's correspondence, um, you know, is, is excellent. And it sets the standard. And then, you know, BBC Scotland looks even more sluggish by comparison. But hey, if anyone's listening from either of these places, why don't you in anticipate with some resources in anticipation of the third anniversary of Brexit, why don't you do some journalism and put mm-hmm. it up right up prime time um, and do what impacts Brexit has had on livelihoods in Scotland? Just do the digging a bit because we're having to do it and it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and that's the responsibility of a national broadcaster. And at some point uh, in the near future, we'll have to take a look at the proposed changes to BBC Radio Scotland and the diminution of the cultural output and what's what's happening there. And talking of culture, uh, I've just finished Slough House, uh, the the latest McHeron book about the slow horses um, and uh, under Jackson Lamb in this uh, outpost of the the British Secret Service uh, in a very rundown part of London, which I thoroughly recommend to everybody. And the TV um, uh, the TV series is on Apple Plus. The first ones are currently available, I think, on Sky as well with Gary Oldman in the starring role. Absolutely excellent. And while I've been spending my time reading 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 uh, genre literature, you've been spending your time, theoretically speaking. Uh, when you're not doing oh, no, other I things, have written quite writing, a lot your, writing your book. <laughs> Although, funnily enough, the last book I did semi-get through was The Very Same Slough House, actually. Right. You know, and, and I have been watching the um, Slow Horses on uh, on a friend's Apple TV mm-hmm. subscription, and it is <laughs> utterly stonking. Isn't it's it? um, this, the, the, it's the kind of consistent seediness of, of London, which is absolutely the way I can remember things, that you'd be in the middle of somewhere that has quite a posh, postcode and you're in a building that has got single glazed windows rattles when a tram goes past with a tiny little wash and basin where the hot water hasn't worked for 400 years and a clatty towel mm. i mean there's plenty of places like that tucked away through the whole of it and slow the whole mccarran genre there's loads of books um they all expose the seediness of this world and of course of sort of espionage and spydom and screwing up and all the rest of it oh, you know as far politics. as the authorities are concerned and politics it's it's a it's a very good uh, entertaining read and the the tv series is utterly stonking the second series is even better than the first so right you can see how much writing i've been doing as i work my way <laughs> through all these apple tv <laughs> but no i have actually and happily because i still have access to dundee university library if you take yourself to somewhere that hasn't got all the blooming day job around you, you know, there is I have been able to sit for four or five hours actually and get wellied in. The book is really just trying to make it's trying to update the independence case since 2014. And when you begin to look at it and it's not talking about currency, it's talking about how we feel about ourselves. I'm, I'm This is not, I think, the title because I don't think the publisher likes it. But in my head, this is the nation, the kingdom and the cool, cool neighbours. Those three things. The nation of Scotland now has a settled will. You can see it in all sorts of ways that have developed since 2014. And that needs a lot of exposition because actually Donald Dewar's application of that phrase, the settled will, simply to the question of devolution back in the 90s. No, no, no. The settled will is social democracy. Yes. And the, the devolution and independence are means to that end. And that's what has become settled over the intervening 10, essentially 10 years. The kingdom. Well, it is a kingdom now, actually. The kingdom has fallen to pieces. Stuff that people could never anticipate being put through a Westminster government has happened. And yet more privatisation defaults that are utterly different south of the border. It's another country. No. I defy anyone in Scotland to watch what's happening in Westminster and tell me that that feels like your country. It doesn't. It's only a a question of the upset necessary to rectify matters that stops people being able to embrace that. And the cool, cool neighbours, well, there's been a big, big change uh, in the last 10 years in the degree to which people are conscious of how how much better small countries are doing than the whole of the UK and particularly than Scotland, which has mm-hmm. generally speaking got <clears throat> more natural assets than everyone put together. And the other big change, Ireland, 
No one yes. wanted to mention Ireland in 2014 because it was only the source of grief. In the meantime, they've gone through their citizens' assemblies. They've modernised their country. They have extended the hand of friendship across to Northern Ireland in all sorts of ways. And of course, they have what is now the hottest passport in the entire freaking universe, which <laughs> is the means to be a member of the European Union. So we've got all these changes that have happened in the basic arguments about where independence is stashed. Now you don't need to buy the book, right? And that's what I'm trying to write. It's got next to nothing to do with currency. You'll find a currency if you think you need to change. You'll find a removals van if you need to move house. Let's talk about moving house. Yeah. You know, all we do is talk about the price of the removals vans. Enough already. Let's get back to the central stuff. So, no, I'm at certain points enjoying it enormously, actually, and horsing on. And I should say, um, last week I did mention I'm, you know, obviously off writing columns, which is slightly what is making life a bit weird for us because as you say there is a wee template there for both of our thinking um and that i'm off unpaid for this month however i should say the scottish independence foundation have basically paid my money for this month so they have substituted what i've lost in not being able to write columns so that i get a month where basically i'm able to keep plowing on and write this and i'm so grateful to them because when you haven't any other mean, you know, you've got there's no other sort of income these days um, since 2014. So that's it fundamentally. And I'm I'm very grateful. So thank you. And uh, the, the book will be handed in to the publisher on February the 28th. Um, and <laughs> then we'll have a lot of corrections and it should be out by about April or May or something, you know. So there we are. Yeah. And. Thanks to the Scottish Independence Foundation, but also just a, just a, I don't I don't know if I say it often, but thanks to all our subscribers, because what you're enabling us to do is go out and do all these extras and to continue the podcast and expand the podcast. And and uh, just thank you, because uh, I'm eternally grateful that anybody A, listens to the podcast. Uh, I'm stunned. I'm stunned that since I joined you, Leslie, that, that people have continued to listen and, uh, and, and, and continue to subscribe. So thank you very much to all our subscribers. Indeed. And on that suki up note, we'll see you next week, Johnson. <laughs>